Good morning, church family. All right. Just doing a check. My name is Dan Spino. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. It is good to be worshiping with you. It's good to be uh, just singing God's praises. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, looking at his word. And we're going to continue in our time of worship now. We've been worshiping through through song, we've been worshiping through prayer, we've been worshiping through silence in the beginning there, readying our hearts, and, and now we're gonna, we're gonna turn to, to God's word in Galatians. And I know George just prayed for us. I wanna, I wanna pray again. It just helps ready my heart and, and maybe even help ready your hearts to receive what God might have for us today. So let me pray for us. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we, we marvel at how wonderful you are and that you would think it upon your kindness to call us to you through the blood of Jesus as the Holy Spirit's at work in our lives. We thank you for that precious gift of salvation. And now I ask that you would lead us here, that you would be speaking. Let me get out of your way, this broken vessel. I Lay myself down before you. I ask that you would ready our hearts for what you might have for us, that you might speak the words that are yours may you allow to say, the words that are not may you allow the force to just fall away, that you would become more known in our lives for your glory and your glory alone. Amen. All right. Team back there, we got a little bit of feedback. I don't know if you guys heard that, but I'll keep going. If I need to do anything, you let me know. Uh, I'm going to start our time off here just sharing a little bit of a story uh, from Stephanie and I's lives. Uh, Stephanie and my wife, Stephanie, down here. We, we've been in this area for about seven years. Um, prior to being here, we, we spent two years in Chicago. It was our second time through Chicago. We're not fans of Chicago. Um, just putting that out there. If you love Chicago, I apologize. Terry Allison, if you're listening, I'm sorry. Brothers from the Chicago area, I believe. Um, but anyways, we, we went back, we were there again for two more years. And our second time through, we were excited. We found a condo in downtown Libertyville. It's a suburb of Chicago. It's on the north, it's on the north side of Chicago. And we, we love living in town. Uh, we live in downtown Mechanicsburg right now. We love being a part of a town, being a part of a community. So we were so excited to be in Libertyville. It was awesome. And then... We went into our space. <laughs> we loved our neighbors. We had amazing neighbors, but we actually, we had two issues with, with our condo. The first is the landlord who has his own law practice. Good luck filing complaints with him. And what we didn't know at the time was that there was like this odd smell. I, I, I can't describe it. I'm going to try. It's like an old, damp, rotten wood type smell. I, I I don't even know that that's accurate. It was just, it was bad. And you didn't really notice it when you went into the space. It was more like it kind of joined you as you left the space. So like, I'm sitting there in a client meeting with one of my clients or, you know, consulting at the time. I'm sitting with a client. And I'm like, what's that smell? Oh, <laughs> it's me. Like I became the stinky kid. Oh no. My suitcase smelled, all my clothes smelled. I mean, like, we'd, we'd go to visit my family in Buffalo, and we'd, like, wash our clothes because, like, they were just so awful. Like, I was, we almost threw our suitcases away. And, and that was just, you know, a piece of it. Like, there, it was just, you know, dark, damp, just, just not the great living experience. And then, like, the landlord really did not make things any better, really. 
I mean, like, there was a time where the hood vent, you know, over the stove, it went out. And, like, I'm one of those guys that, like, I don't actually know what I'm doing, but I'm too stupid to know that I don't know what I'm doing. So, like, I'll do any project because I'm like, you know, if I get in trouble, like, there's at least three people you can call or YouTube or something, right? We'll, we'll figure it out. Somehow in that journey, though, the landlord found out that I was doing this. And, like, they sent me this, like, legal document, like a cease and desist. And, like, we had to pay for an electrician to come. Actually, two electricians. The other guy just sat there and watched. But we paid him to watch. I mean, like, we were trying to make the place better, and we got punished. They're like, no, don't do that. It was awful. It was dark, smelly, and bad landlords. So when our lease was up, praise God for leases. (laughs) When our lease was up, do you think we renewed our lease? (laughs) <laughs> Somebody said, yes, Paul has something to say to you, brother. We're going to get there. Then, so we did it. So we moved to Gurney, the north part of town, a little further north uh, to, a, to another condo. And it was the exact opposite of that experience, except for the neighbors. We had another amazing set of neighbors. They were, they were great. But in every way, this living space was different. There was so full of life. We were on the second floor. We weren't on the first floor. It wasn't damp and wet and smelly. We had large windows. Light came in. We could make the space our own. The landlord was a friend. I mean, we could text Jill. We talked her on the phone. Uh, we had a communal garden that we started with our neighbor. We had bonfires out in the park. I mean, it was awesome. And the best part of all, the landlord allowed us to have a dog. So cool. That was when Lottie, our, our pet miniature schnauzer, came into our life. She's still my, my puppy. She's eight years old, I think, today or somewhere around today. <laughs> anyway, it's been eight years since we've had Lottie and um, all in this amazing living experience. Now, when that lease came up, do you think that we thought about moving back to the first condo? Of course not. <laughs> and why is that? Because once we had experienced the abundant life of the second condo, why would we ever return to that first place again? That's the question that Paul has for us and those in the Galatian churches. Only instead of a condo, Paul is writing about the truth. Capital T, truth. Truth is the key piece of our text today. And what I hope we all take away from this part of this letter that Paul's been working through, we've been working through Galatians what Paul's been building to and throughout this whole letter is that let the power of the gospel truth change your life permanently. So Paul wants us to hear, let the power of the gospel truth change your life permanently. We're going to continue in our series. We're in Galatians chapter 4. We're in verses 8 through 12. If you remember, Trent started this chapter last week, verses 1 through 7. We're going to pick it up here in 8. We're going to read through chapter 20. Uh, If you don't have your Bible, we'll have the the words up on the screen. But let me just tell you, bring your Bible. I know we offer the words, and it's really great. But get the Bible in your hand, whether it be a book, digital, whatever. Just have the Word of God in your hand. There's something about the tactile, like tangibleness of being able to, to just have it, like mark it up, whatever you need to do, things that you can see. But anyways, Galatians 4, 8 through 20. Let me read for us these words from our, from our brother Paul. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I have labored over you in vain. 
Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You knew that it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out. They, they, that you make much of them. It's not always good to be made much of for good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed by you. This part of our letter that we're looking at today connects all the way back to Galatians chapter one, verses six through seven. It was verses that we read several weeks ago. In there, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, God the Father, who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. In a way, since then and up to this point, Paul has been trying to parse out the difference between what those false teachers are teaching and a right understanding of the gospel. To this point, he took them through his own conversion and calling story. The two are wrapped up together. He's converted and, and he's called at the same time through Jesus. The importance of saved by grace alone through faith alone. An understanding of the law and from, from what we read last week, how through faith alone, we become heirs and sons of God the Father. But now he turns back to his brothers and sisters across the various churches across Galatia and in a loving and truth-filled way calls them out for their misunderstanding. He returns back to what he started back in chapter one and six through seven. And what he wants is for the power of the gospel truth to change their lives permanently. What we see is that in, the, in, this, in this text here, 8 through 20, what we see is first in verses 8 through 11, Paul is contrasting their new life with their old and questioning why would they want to go back to that? He says, but now that you have come to know God or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again? In 12 through 15, Paul reminds them of the circumstances of how he came to them and their personal relationship they had with each other. It wasn't under the best circumstances. Paul said, I had an ailment that I came to you, but, but you treated me like a messenger of God, like an angel, a messenger of God, as Christ's representative, willing to go to great lengths to care for him. And then in verse 16, it's the key verse in this section. He says, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? In 17 through 20, he points out how these false teachers, he, you know, he just starts saying they, they, they. He just, just goes right at them. They, these false teachers are trying to make a name for themselves. Remember, it's Paul who said earlier, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of God. Yet that's what these teachers are doing. He then wraps up this segment of this letter in a firm and loving, my little children, I wish I could be present with you and change my tone. I am perplexed by you. Note, though, that he says he changed his tone, not the content of his message. And that's important. 
You see, the content of this letter to the churches of Galatia is all about truth, capital T, truth. This is the truth that offers the freedom that we've been talking about throughout this series over the last several weeks. And I've stated, he essentially says to them and to us today, let the power of the gospel of truth change your life permanently. Let it be a fixture. So this then leads us to our first point, the importance of truth. The thrust of this passage is the truth. We see that in verse 16. He's referring to capital T truth. The one indisputable, never shaking, standing for all time truth. Nothing will ever change this truth. Nothing will ever move this truth. So what then is this truth? Well, Paul has been dripping it in throughout his letter in several places. He's been working this through the whole time. In chapter one, verses three through five, it says, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to him be the, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. In chapter two, verse 16, he says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And then chapter two, verse 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. In chapter three, verse 26, it says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So we read last week, chapter four, four through seven, he says, but when the fullness of time had come, God the Father sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our heart crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And he wasn't done. And then he continues in four, verse nine. He says, but now that you've come to know God or rather be known by God. This is a brief summary of the truth. Did you hear that message? That is the gospel truth. And it's utterly transformative. So let me summarize and expand just a little bit on what Paul has been saying throughout this letter of Galatians, because we all need to hear the truth. We need to hear it more and more and more. We just sang the truth. We just sang three songs, just proclaiming the truth of the gospel. And now here we are again. So let's, let's just hear the truth again. And this is what Paul essentially says throughout this letter. He says, humanity was lost in sin. Our very nature was sin stained at its core. We were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world in this present evil age. In a way, these elementary principles owned us. We were slaves to them. That's what he's saying there. And our relationship with our heavenly father was broken. We were lost, doomed, destined for death. But at the appointed time, God the father sent forth his son, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man to redeem us, to purchase us back. To be redeemed is a market term. There was a transaction. We were bought at the expense of God himself. Our father paid the price that was due for our sins. He sent his son to die on our behalf, the death we deserve to die. 
And through the death and resurrection of Jesus, not only were we redeemed, but we were justified. We were made right with our heavenly father. The father adopted us as his very sons and daughters. And if we are now adopted as sons and daughters, then we are heirs along with his son, Jesus. This is all through faith believing and trusting in God the Father and God the Son. And our lives are transformed. Our very nature is changed. It's as if we are born again. And while that alone is enough, like if that doesn't get you up out of bed in the morning, I don't know what will. But if that alone, that there is more, there's still more. Not only are we heirs and have been redeemed and have been justified, God the Father sent the spirit of his son, the Holy Spirit, to lead us and guide us. In fact, it is this very Holy Spirit that does all of this transformational work in us. And daily now, the spirit is alive in us, crying out, helping us to embrace our identity as sons and daughters of God the Father, reminding us of this restored, intimate relationship we have with our heavenly Father. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me through the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul has been saying throughout this letter. And this is who you are when you place your faith in Jesus. You are a son, a daughter, an heir, adopted by God the Father. No longer on equal status with those that are enslaved to this world, but alive with the Holy Spirit inside of you. Amen. That should stir us. That's truth. Now, there's more that Paul says as well throughout this whole letter that's helpful, right? These are things that we've been talking about. The law doesn't have a claim on us anymore. You don't need to be a Jew to be a Christian. Paul speaks as one who has authority from Jesus himself and so on. But this is the gospel truth that is available to these brothers and sisters in the Galatian churches. And it's available to us here today. Paul weaves this letter to this point where we find ourselves in the text today. And from here, From this point in the letter kind of forward, he starts to press in more personally and directly to these Galatian brothers and sisters. He's building a case and he'll continue to do so throughout the rest of this letter. And in our text specifically, Paul essentially says, since this is true, since this is the truth, since our very identity, our very nature has been changed, since we have been born again, if you will, and it's no longer I who live. Since since we have been known by God, why then would you ever want to go back to the way things were? To the things that are weak, worthless, elementary principles of the world that are enslaving. Why would you go back to the smelly, dark condo with a terrible landlord? That's what the world offers us. The problem for us is that while the spirit indwells us, we're still here in this world in our flesh. And there may be no two more diametrically opposed things in our lives than the spirit and the flesh. And now Paul is gonna speak to this. In a couple of weeks, we'll get there in this letter. He's gonna talk to this very thing. But, But that is the root of what's going on here. The fickleness of our flesh which is easily led astray and is in opposition to the truth. 
If I could paraphrase these verses I just read. So if like looking at eight through 20, just doing like a little bit of a paraphrase. I'm no Eugene Peterson, but this is the best I got. Paul says essentially, at one time you used to be a slave without hope in this world. But then God the Father called you to himself. You were known by God. This is an intimate word to be known by God. It's, it's highly relational. It is bound up with relationship. And in that calling, you got swept up in your airness. Paul says, I know I was there. I preached to you. I came to you not under the best of circumstances, yet you treated me so well, so much that you would have taken out your eyes and given them to me. We had such affection for each other. I was like a father to you. And you came to understand the blessing of being an heir. You came to understand that the law is not what saves, but it is through faith alone. But then some people came in and confused you. They enticed you with weak, worthless, elementary principles of the world whose slaves you have become once more, and they stirred up confusion about me. And in so doing, I became your enemy because I spoke truth to you. Understand that I love you, brothers and sisters. That's why I'm writing to you. I can relate to you, Paul would say. I can relate to you. There was a time when we were gathered in Jerusalem that some false brothers came in and tried to stir up trouble and tried to bring us into slavery similar to what you've experienced. We saw that in Galatians 2, 4 through 5. Even Peter himself, when he came on a visit to Antioch, was confused on these matters of the law and embracing faith. And I had to have a conversation with him about this. I understand what you're going through. But just as I did not shrink back, just as I never stopped believing and preaching the gospel of grace, I want the same for you. I wish I was with you so we could talk in person instead of through this letter. I'm really confused as to what happened to my children, whom I love. Why would you ever want to go back to those things in the way that life brought, that way of life that brought death? You see, in his teachings, Paul was pointing them to God. These false teachers were pointing them to themselves. Paul says, I'm here, I'm not here to please man. If I were, I would not be a servant of God. What happened? It's as if we're back to the beginning again. You were children and then God called and God called you. And now I'm in labor pains again as you return back to what you were like as a child. It's as if you have to go back to this childlike state again and remind you of the truth. Starting all over again. What happened? Why would you want to return to that? as we've been reading over the last few weeks, they're falling back into the works of the law instead of the blessing of the gospel of grace. That's what's going on here. There is confusion about truth. The question is why? Perhaps this is the question for us as well. Why after having tasted and seen how good the gospel is, would you ever shrink back in your faith? Why, after having understood the new life in Christ, why would you want to go backwards? You see, the power of the gospel truth has the power to change your life. It's not power that you can conjure up yourself. It's not power that you possess. It's the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. The power of the gospel truth can change your life. It has the power to set you free from your past and all that clings to you. It speaks to every moment, every instance of your life. There's nothing that the truth of the gospel does not speak to. However, rather than fully embracing this truth, we try to squeeze the gospel into our life instead of our life into the gospel. It's as if the gospel truth is not enough for us each day. 
there should be something like palpably different about our lives because of the gospel. We want our conveniences. We want our preferences. We protect ourselves. We want our pride. You see, there is power in the gospel that I just, I just don't know that we have fully realized yet. And I, I wish I could better articulate it for you. The problem is it's like, it's not something you can put in words. It's not like a feeling. I think both are present. It's just utterly spiritual, alive inside of you. I've been stuck in this message for the last few days, just trying to find the right words to communicate this to you. I don't know that I'm even doing it yet. If the gospel is true, since the gospel is true, this place should look and feel different. Our gathered experience should look and feel different. The conversation out in the lobby should look different. When we leave here, life should be different. Every moment of every day, we should live as transformed heirs of the most high king who now shares a father with us. Are you guys awake? Did you hear that? (laughs) Heirs of the most high king Jesus. There's nobody higher. Every knee, every is going to bow before him. And we're an heir of that kingship. And we share a father. Why would you ever shrink back? Instead, our faith can become manufactured. Perhaps at times we try too hard or too little. We, we play Christianity. We, we say the right answers. You know, we, we do church. But we can't fabricate this power from this truth. Or we try too little. We're just lazy. We don't even take our faith seriously. We just kind of put it on the shelf. I'll pick it back up again Sunday morning. It's just there, but not fully realized. And we set our lives up trying to protect this version of belief, whatever it may be. In her daily devotional book that she wrote, Susan Spurgeon, it's called Free Grace and Dying Love. Susan Spurgeon, wife of Charles Spurgeon, this is what she wrote. She says, dear master, if your will concerning me be my sanctification, why is that will not done more absolutely in me? Can it be? that I am unconsciously cherishing something in my heart that hinders the work of your Holy Spirit. And so the blessing you have designed for me does not reach me because the way is barred by a will not wholly yielded to yours. Or have I been satisfying myself with mere empty desires after conformity to Christ, indulging in poor, feeble longings in which there was so much half-heartedness that the Spirit of God was grieved It would not reveal his power. She continues, Oh Lord, pity me and pardon me. Awake my soul to an earnest sense of the solemn responsibility involved in belonging to you and bearing your name. Rouse in me, Lord, a joyful eagerness to become all that you wish me to be. Fill me with that mighty influence which works in us both to will and to do of your good pleasure. Yes, chasten me, afflict me, if nothing else will serve to make me a partaker of your holiness. Whatever you need to do, God, Draw me back to you. This truth has a power to transform. Yet, as Susan says, we are often led astray. This then leads to our second point. What leads us to wandering from the truth? What leads us to shrink back in our faith? I'm astonished, Paul says, that you're so quickly deserting God the Father who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. 
What is this different gospel? Well, Paul tells us about these teachers. In in verse 17 here, he says, they are trying to make a name for themselves. These teachers, he just says they. They they want these believers to make much of them, the teachers, and not of God. Not the gospel, but of them. They want to be worshipped. And earlier in verses 9 through 10, we see what they're offering. A a turning back. Like, a turning back to life before grace entered in. Costly grace, not cheap grace. A turning back to principles that are weak and worthless, elementary, of this world. Enslaving instead of freeing. These are all Paul's words. Enslaving instead of freeing. It's a type of ceremonial worship as an act of of salvation. Let me read this list again. But instead of thinking, oh, those foolish Galatians, listen to where and how we might apply this to our present time and even think to yourself if any of this resonates. You see, these believers are making much of these men instead of making much of God. These believers are worshiping these false teachers. These believers are turning back to a life before grace entered in. Costly grace, not cheap grace. We're going to talk about that in a brief moment. Turning back to principles that are weak and worthless, elementary, of this world, enslaving instead of freeing. And these believers are performing a type of ceremonial worship in which they go through the motions each time they gather to feel good about themselves. Friends, it's not last time. We, we do worship with excellence here. The, the George and the team, they are amazing, gifted musicians. My hope is that you don't just come here and just sing songs because they sound good and make you feel good. That's not what George is trying to lead us in. I know his heart. He loves the Lord and he wants you to love the Lord. Listen to the words that we say and sing out of the overflow of your heart. That's what it means to worship well. I'm hoping that perhaps a few of us are feeling a little convicted here. I'm, I'm sure that we can see some crossover from this letter to the Galatian churches into our day and age today. As I thought through this, perhaps we might categorize what leads us astray into three categories that we need to pay attention to. These are three things that lead us away from the truth. Number one, things that we add to the gospel. Now, can you think of things that maybe you might add or maybe you, you know like something that somebody's adding to the gospel? Ways in which we lose sight of the main thing, the truth. Often these things can be be good in themselves. Serving, both in the church and outside. Giving, attending worship, reading your Bible, joining a group or ministry, baptism. Now, any of these things are good, but all of them start from a relationship with God. None of them can save save you in themselves. Don't confuse living in light of the gospel in your life for works that you think earn salvation. Since what we tend to add to the gospel, often good things, they can get really confusing. I get it. The best test is to do a heart check. You really have to go back to your motives. Why are you doing any of these things? Why? Am I attending worship because I want to look good and earn favor? Or am I coming here because I want to worship God the Father? Two different motives. Both get you in this place. During this past week, a large group of our students, junior and senior high students, participated in Spirit Week. 
our brothers, Pastor Quay and Pastor Russ, let our students through the spiritual disciplines throughout the week. And unless you think it was just like some, some remote activity, what they're driving towards, I know these, they, they want these students to just love the Lord with their whole mind, heart, soul, strength, their whole being. That's what this whole week was focused on. Each day they took up a spiritual discipline and were given a challenge. And I got to say with some of my ninth graders from our life group yesterday during breakfast, they've been fasting for the past 24 hours and were gathering to break the fast. Two of them fasted from food and the other fasted from YouTube and another social media app, which I am forgetting. And if you, I apologize for a service. If you're here, I'm sorry, you know who you are. I apologize. I forgot to, what you told me you were fasting from, brother. But as we were talking, I asked them about their experience and they know me well enough to know that I'm not gonna ask surface questions. I asked them, how did they draw closer to God, their father through these last 24 hours? Their responses were awesome. As they got hungry, or had the urge to watch a YouTube video, they turned to God in prayer and scripture memorization. You see, the act of fasting isn't what was important. It's that rhythm of going deeper in their relationship with their heavenly father through prayer and his word that's important. But, but fasting in and of itself would not save these boys, these men of God in training. God wants our hearts, not our actions, We respond to God in our relationship with him through actions, but the relationship has to come first. There's nothing we need to add to the gospel truth. It is sufficient in itself. Second thing is there's things that we take away from the gospel. Christianity Today published an article in September with the top five heresies or or false belief among American evangelicals. The article is based on the State of Theology report by Ligonier Ministries. That's, that's the source of their, of their data. The article starts out with the core overarching issue that's plaguing our churches. Remember who the audience was, evangelicals. Around a quarter of evangelicals believe the Bible is not literally true. A quarter. That's one in four. Look around this room. That's a lot of people that don't believe the Bible is literally true if these stats kind of play themselves out. That in itself is enough and should break our hearts. The moment we take the veracity out of the Bible, all kinds of gospel truth can just be altered. In fact, one of the researchers said that this view makes it easy for individuals to accept biblical teaching that they resonate with while simultaneously rejecting any biblical teaching that's out of step with their own personal views and broader cultural values. This is the world we live in. And some of these respondents claim to be our brothers and sisters in Christ. The top five, this is what they were. It was Jesus isn't the only way to God. Jesus was created by God. Jesus is not God. The Holy Spirit is not a personal being and humans aren't sinful by nature. I hope you see, I hope you see the inherent problem with all of these especially given the premise that these came from evangelicals. We must never, friends, never compromise on who Jesus is. The only way, truth, and light. No one comes to the Father except through him. He has eternally existed alongside the Father and the Holy Spirit. He is, in fact, 100% God and 100% man. The Holy Spirit is a person. He grieves He speaks, he cries out. 
And because of Adam, we inherit the guilt of sin from birth. Our natures are in fact tainted by sin. It's changed through faith, but by nature originally tainted by sin. Any one of these is a sermon in itself. And that's as much as I will say about these. But I just want to make sure you don't hear these top five and wonder what's right or wrong about them. They're all wrong. And maybe not part of the top five. I would like to include just a few more things that I've heard. There's a a prevailing lie in some circles that hell isn't real. We actually live our lives, number two, we actually live our lives as if sins don't matter. We have lost our hatred for sin. And the third one I'd add is we act as if grace is cheap, not costly. In his book, Discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about costly grace, he says, it is costly because it calls to discipleship. It is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs people their lives. It is grace because it thereby makes them live. It is costly because it condemns sin. It is grace because it justifies the sinner. And above all, grace is costly because it was costly to God, because it cost God the life of God's son. You were bought with a price. And because nothing can be cheap to us, which is costly to God. Above all, it is grace because the life of God's son was not too costly for God to give in order to make us live. God did indeed give him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Friends, don't start to drift away from the truth. Don't let the gospel lose its richness and impact in your lives. Don't add or take away anything from the beauty of the gospel. But there's one more category that gets in the way of truth. And that is things that we just idolize. Now, I have a list for you. This list is by no means exhaustive, but here are a few of the idols in our lives that lead us to wandering away from the truth. Spouses, kids, sports, jobs, money, sex, friends, social media accounts, technology, Success, fame, bitterness, anger, pride, and worst of all, self. Instead of adding or taking away from the gospel, idols take our worship away from God. Perhaps we add them to our worship. It's it's God and money. These idols get a hold of our heart and drive us away from the gospel and our true worship of God. We need to examine our hearts and see if we're making anything even good things. Some of the things on this list are good things. But when we make those ultimate things, we exchange it for the promise of the gospel. So then how then do we live? Let the power of the gospel truth change your life permanently and take this truth seriously. There is nothing in your life that the gospel truth is not the answer for in some way. It's the foundational truth for all of life. It has the power to set you free and to live and rest in God. There's, there's nothing, no, no joy, no sorrow, no grief, no happiness, no nothing that the gospel does not speak to. So then you have to ask yourself, 
Is this truth sufficient for all I need in life? I mean, you do realize that there are, that people have died for the gospel truth. Like Paul and Peter's story, like it doesn't end well. Even to this day, there are people all over the world that are suffering and dying for this gospel truth. When you put your hands to the plow, you don't look back. That former life, it's not as good as you remember it being. Perhaps we need to live with just a little more urgency in our lives when it comes to living out our faith. Make it a habit to embrace and rehearse the gospel to yourself daily, constantly with friends alone. Sing the gospel, pray the gospel, fight for the gospel, defend the gospel. Listen, if you are a follower of Christ, if you are a son and daughter of God the Father, if you've been known by God, then the gospel of truth is incredibly empowering and freeing to you. There is nothing like it in all the world. And because you are now an heir, there's so much more to come for you. The Holy Spirit is just a down, like a down payment, like a, an inheritance yet to come. Don't fall back again to those things of the world, those weak and worthless things that tempt you away. Don't add to it. Don't take away from this truth and make this gospel truth your ultimate thing. Don't let the fleeting passions and and daily bickering distract you. It's all about the gospel truth. How I just, I long, I long for a stirring inside of you that the Holy Spirit would just stir inside of you this importance of the gospel truth. No man, no woman can can do it for you. It it has to be the spirit. But you have to ready your heart to want to receive it. Do you want to receive this truth? And if so, how will it impact how you live? Because it should be different. I I can't put it into words, friends. I remember one time Nate was up here. He's like, he kind of was there too. He's like, I just want to like do push-ups or something. Like, yes, like it's just, it's there. Like it's not, it's not emotional. It's emotional in a way. It's not rational, but it's rational. It's all spiritual. It's newness inside of you. Step into it, live it. It should be different and life altering. We're about to enter our Advent series, our Advent season, excuse me doing a series, but it's our Advent season. Now, it's not lost on me that we just heard about how these Galatians were worshiping their calendars. That's not what our Advent season is like. It's not a month-long celebration so that we can earn salvation in some way. That's that's not what this is about. Rather, it's a month-long celebration, a readying of our hearts for what has happened many years ago. God the Son, Jesus, took on flesh entered into this world and righted our broke relationship with our heavenly father. He conquered sin and death. He showed us the model for godly living in his kingdom. He gave us his Holy Spirit as became the first fruits of the resurrection, all by taking on flesh and coming in this world in the most humble way. And we have become known by God the father. That is gospel truth. Look forward to the gospel at work in your life without turning back to to who you were before you were known by God and let it transform you. Let it 
utterly, completely, and wholly transform you and then live in that truth every day. Let me pray. Father, as I said in first service, I'm saying again, I just, I feel like my words have failed. They're they're just not, they're they're not enough. There's, There's something that you're stirring that we just can't quite articulate because it's, it's all from you. And you know my brothers and sisters in here individually, one-on-one, you know them all so well, Father. I wanna ask that you would give them what they need. You would take away what they need, that you would, if you have to, bring discipline on their life. If it's pain and suffering that you're calling them to, as, as, as Susan Spurgeon mentioned in her letter, if that's what you're calling them to, to draw them, then may you do it. If it's joy, if it's silence, whatever it might be, may you give what we need to hunger and thirst for you more. Help us to take this truth seriously to not just leave here and leave it, but every moment of every day to remember we are an heir. Our nature has been transformed. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And where we fall and fail, the Holy Spirit's crying out on our behalf. All so that we can say, Father, we thank you for that truth and may it transform us permanently and fixedly in our lives. For your glory and your glory alone. Amen.